Welcome to the Made for Agriculture podcast with Adam, Cameron, and Emily. Today's host is Emily Beck. Today we're going to be talking to the Natural Resource Conservation Service, or NRCS. There's a bunch of different funding available, and we've had a lot of questions on how to get that funding. And so we talked to the FSA office on how to get established with them, and there are different programs that they have. And so now let's dig into the NRCS. Today we have some folks from the Myland area, and then we also have someone from Ray County, the Richmond area. And so we have Matt Miller. He's the district conservationist up here over several counties, and he's been with the agency for seven years. And then we have Brittany D'Angelo in Ray County, and she's been with the agency for eight years. So hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, Emily. <laughs> so district conservationists and resource conservationists, um, those are those are pretty high up within the agency in a county basis, correct? It it is. I, and I think if you look at it, we all work for the same agency. We all have the same job. We just have different duties. Yes. And so you oversee several counties, Matt, is that correct? I do. I oversee and supervise Putnam, Sullivan, Skyland, and Dare counties. Oh, wow. Okay. So the north north section of everything. And then Brittany, you're down there with Ray, Carol, Livingston, and Caldwell, correct? Correct. Okay. So you're we have kind of a sectioned out of the state of Missouri, um, just kind of get an overview. And so how we're going to go about this is that we're going to have a few questions for them. And then Brittany and Matt can answer and add in where need be. Um, so we'll just get started on what you guys view NRCS as. So NRCS is a federally funded agency aimed to provide technical and financial assistance to private landowners or other land managers that are wanting to make environmental improvements on their property. Okay, so NRCS covers a lot of things. Um, it sounds like, especially for, you know, erosion or if they're wanting to do things in maybe even hay, pasture ground, and even timber ground, correct? Correct. We cover a large scope of um, either agriculture or wildlife. Um, anything you can put on the land um, that's environmentally friendly, we can probably play a role in. Okay. All right. So there's going to be a bunch of different programs that tie into that. And so do you guys want to just dive in on if someone was to come into the office um, they've never been with you guys before. What do you guys start out at um, with that discussion with those landowners? Um, so I think the nice thing about working with the USDA office is that it doesn't really matter who you talk to first. Um, either they can assist you or they can get you in connection with the right person for what you are wanting to do. Um, so uh, most offices are going to have a planner, which would be like my position, um, and a technician or two that... Um, do more structural practices. Um, and then we also have a lot of wildlife partner staff, like uh, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, MDC, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited. Um, and then of course we have our Soil and Water Conservation District staff as well. So, um, you know, regardless of which person you initially make contact with, um, generally what we're gonna start with is scheduling a field visit and uh, getting out to your property so we can actually see what's happening on the land. And Matt, can you go over kind of what a field visit, what occurs during a field visit? Well, there's two answers. And one of the right answer is going to be the nine steps of conservation planning. And um, these, these steps can be intertwined and a lot of them can be done at the same time. And then most of them can be done 
um, at uh, the, in the office itself. But usually when we go out there, the first thing you do is going to identify the problems and opportunities. Um, you're going to determine your objectives. You're going to inventory your resources while you're there. Um, you're going to analyze your, your resource data, and then you're going to formulate alternatives and, and then evaluate. And you can do basically the first six steps generally in the field um, up front with the landowner. Um, he's going to express all of his uh, his concerns, his his wants, his needs, you know, his dreams, his capabilities. You know, um, his his financial end is, is important to know. Um, all of this can be done. And then the technicians um, and, and sometimes the planners will go out and they'll they'll do the surveys. Um, like like Brittany said, I mean, we're all well versed. Usually we can relay the same information back to whoever needs to do their part in the planning process. Okay. Okay. So we have the nine steps with the field visit. Um, and does it matter how many acres you have in order to do a field visit? No, it, it doesn't matter how many acres you have. So, I mean, we have different practices. Um, example, high tunnel. I mean, you can definitely put a high tunnel on half an acre. Or if we're going to do 10,000 feet of terraces, I mean, we're going to probably need 35 to 40 acres to get this done. So it doesn't really matter how big your operation is. We want to be able to have the opportunity to help you out because there, there, there are different components and there's micro components that can be adjusted to to help them out. Okay, okay, so we were talking about how we have the field visit. So once we come back in, um, you were mentioning just a little bit about the technicians and then the planners starting to do things. Um, is that when the programs start in or do you guys lay everything out for the landowner of, okay, this is your options or how do you guys go about that once you come in from that field visit? Yeah, so it can kind of go a, def a couple different ways. Um, sometimes you have a, a person come in who has heard about a program that they're really interested in. Um, and so maybe they're ready to sign up before we even go to the field. Um, and then sometimes, you know, we go to the field first and do, as Matt was discussing, we're doing the nine steps of conservation planning uh, to figure out what program might best suit that person. Um, regardless of which method, it, it's kind of a, a back and forth um, throughout the process, um, you know, where we're, we're looking at options and alternatives and figuring out, well, which program might benefit that person best. Just because they originally came in and signed up for one program, that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, take a step back and discuss with them well, I actually think this program might be better for you. Um, but at the end, the the person who signed up ultimately gets to decide what practices they want to implement um, and which program that they think would also benefit them best. So we do our best to lay out all of the information available and provide multiple options when when there are multiple options and give the the either the landowner or the operator uh the knowledge to be able to make an educated decision. And how long does that first initiation take from when them them coming into the office and then you all doing the field visit and then the discussion? I, I'm sure it does depend on the weather and the time of the year in which they come in at. Correct. There's um, there's no good easy answer on exactly how long it's going to take because, like you said, weather plays a role, and then also. You know, as we have deadlines and other things that we have to um, get completed in the office um, before we can start working on new work again. Um, so there's no 
um, set answer. Um, but that's also another benefit about having a whole team network of um, different agencies and personnel who um, can go out and gather some of that information, even if they're not the person who ends up working with the contract. Okay. And so I know we, we, we're talking about the landowner came in, but does it matter if it's the landowner or if it's the operator? Because I know in the state of Missouri, we have a lot of absentee landowners. And so what are the options for them? Do you guys treat it differently if it's the operator coming in or if it's the landowner or if they are an absentee landowner? So if they're an absentee landowner, it, it really goes back to who's on their producer farm data report from FSA. It, it, like who's going to be the operator? Who's going to be the other tenant? I mean, we have different programs. They're going to have different criteria of who can, you know, initiate the process. So, and like Equip, you can be a producer or another tenant. Um, they can. It doesn't matter about the absentee landowner part. But yeah, so starting in, I guess, with those programs, we we already mentioned Equip. I feel like I should say warning acronyms. You know, may cause discomfort and confusion. Because there are a lot of acronyms when it comes to NRCS. Um, and so we'll just go ahead and kind of break those down right now. Um, we just talked about, you know, that we have EQIP. EQIP is the Environmental Quality Incentive Program. We also have CSP, Conservation Stewardship Program. And then you guys have a wealth of other ones if you want to add in on what they are. And then we'll dive in on what e individual program actually does. So when I explain the main programs that that we do every day um, for for the area that I'm supervising now. So we have two for the NRCS and one FSA. So we have EQIP and we have CSP for the NRCS. And then for FSA, it's CRP. CRP is a big thing up here. I mean, and then the state and the soil and water has a state, state cost share program. Um, those are the main things that we do every day, all day long. Um, generally, nothing's the same. It's always interesting. It's ever changing. Everybody's situation is different. Um, and they may be wanting to sign up for one program, but then find out they're fit for another. And that is our job to distinguish, you know, hey, this fits you better. Are you interested in this, this route? Um, that's our professional knowledge, how to adjust people and where they need to be. One of the program add-ons is what I would call it um, that's become more popular recently is the Regional Partnership Program, RCPP. Um, and so that can either work with EQIP or CSP to provide funding for more specific projects that a partnering organization has provided funding for. So um, down here in Ray County, um, one of the main ones we work with is Monarch Habitat. Um, and there's been several different options over the last five years for obtaining Monarch Habitat through an RCPP program um, uh, to try to provide um, as much Monarch Habitat as we can and extend the NRCS's dollar by using some partnering agencies for some additional funding. Yes, I know MFA, we were also in one of those RCPPs. We were in the precision one. And so we were looking at ground that was lower yielding um, and then applying different pollinator plots or buffer areas within that so that those those folks would be able to have lower input cost, but yet still get um, a nice yield because they're not using putting as much into those acres that are lower inputting. So yes, RCPP is a great one. Um, but I guess 
for EQIP and for CSP, do they have their own like caveats? Is EQIP better for one thing and CSP better for other things? Um, I know you had mentioned the RCPP really is focusing on that monarch habitat. And so if you guys could dive in just a little bit more um, on EQIP and on CSP. So when I explain EQIP and CSP to the participants that come into my office, um, I explained to them that EQIP is basically going to be your Band-Aid and your heal-all to meet your resource concern needs so you can qualify for CSP, which is is can be looked at as a reward program. So CSP is going to, you're going to, you're going to keep the threshold of what you're doing and then go above and beyond. So if you don't heal your ground first, you really don't qualify for the other program. So I try to push and fix what we can to the best of our ability with EQIP. And then later on, after we get our, our project completed, and if they qualify, we'll go with CSP. So we make it a staged approach. Okay, so EQIP's like the junior team and CR CSP is more, you know, varsity league. Yeah. Okay, okay, perfect. Um, so we kind of had mentioned that you guys are in a little bit different parts of the state. Does the programs differ depending on what part of Missouri, Iowa, Kansas that you are a part of? So I'm getting a head shake yes from Matt. Uh, Brittany, do you kind of have agree with that? But within Missouri, do they okay. do they differ? A lot of the rules for the program might be the same um, regardless of where you're at in the state, um, but there can be different options available depending on exactly where you're located, um, like the Regional Conservation Partnership Program. Um, I just know that they have different programs coming available because different parts of the state may have more geographical areas that are ideal maybe for you know terraces in the northern part of the state and in the southern part of the state we may have more grazing and so we might have more of those um, different grazing programs you know waterers have more ponds have more things like that when it comes to programs yeah so geography 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 so the the folks that i'm in now I have two counties that are going to be very similar. They're going to be a lot of basins. They're going to be a great stabilization of structures as ponds. Um, and then we have some grazing intermixed and we and they have prime habitat. They can do warm season grasses. That doesn't happen. So we're trying to promote that now. Um, but if you go further east, we have Adair County and, and, and Adair County is going to be your geographic guru of everything. They're going to have terraces. They're going to have ponds. They got grazing systems. They got pollinators. They got wildlife practices. They got uh, forestry practices. Um, and it's, it's just because they're, they're that unique geographic region where they they have grades that go from zero to five percent, from nine to fifteen percent. I mean, it just varies so much. Um, and, and I and I think you can relate to uh, to Ray County. I mean, Ray County's got good farm ground, and you got some pretty. Yep pretty pretty hilly stuff um, yeah and, and and you know from up here from then from i was acting dc um say in johnson county and henry and benton county i mean just going from here to down there 
is a huge difference. And the way they implement practices is going to be different. They're going to have different methods that work for that area. Uh, and they do more wells for grazing systems than we would ever do up here because we have more suitable soils for structures and ponds. Um, there's little differences all the way through the state. And I'm sure if you keep going south, it's it's going to be probably blow my mind. So I don't know. Yeah, I definitely worked with a couple folks down there and they started talking about peanuts. I'm like, oh gosh, this is definitely, <laughs> we're not in Northern Missouri anymore. But yeah, I know um, one of the other things that's kind of interesting that's been popping up um, with this Biden money uh, that's being pumped into farming, into crop ground, we're doing something called the Act Now. Um, and I know that that's not statewide in the sense of every single county is going to be doing the exact same thing. And so I think that also ties into what we're discussing on that each county is going to kind of um, pick and choose of what they're wanting. And so what is your guys's area is kind of doing with that act now? And is there any other add-in money like we were talking about with RCPP? Yeah, so the Native Forages Initiative is one of the first Act Now programs that we released last year. And um, for any producer anywhere in the state wanting to add native forage into their, maybe it's their grazing system or hay production, or I think even wildlife habitat would be allowed, um, it's a great option um, to kind of fast track an application because um, if you've ever worked with our programs before there's a lot of waiting um, when it comes to federal funds um, so the act now program um, is supposed to speed up that process so that you can um, get um, some conservation on the ground faster so the native forage initiative um, was one of the first ones but we've got some more um, coming out this year um, Ones that I've been working on is um, getting conservation activity plans, whether that be for a forest management plan or um, a comprehensive nutrient management plan. It doesn't really matter what kind of activity plan you're seeking. Um, we've created an act now for those as well to try to get that funding out as um, early as we can and people can start getting that conservation on the ground. Okay, Matt, would you like to add on that? Well, I think Brittany's 100% on track. And I think a lot of the push that, that she just described is pretty uniform across North Missouri. Um, the NFI, the warm season grasses, and the pollinators, um, and, the, and the act now of getting the applications through quicker. Um, we, we've been pushed um, to get, you know, to have, have this stuff done now. And they have, that, the application's been coming in slower um, here. Now, I can't speak for Ray County, you know, Livingston County in those areas there. Um, historically, they probably have a lot more applications come in down there than they do here. Um, I think over the years, our, our base here has kind of been a, a streamlined, just monotone, mm -hmm. where there's big pushes that were in, in other areas of the state. And I think Brittany, um, in your area and your FOSA down there, I think you're probably one of those one of those FOSAs. Yeah, we um, process a lot of applications every year. Um, we do still have, you know, certain practices that don't get enough funding to fund everybody, such as terraces that um, we're unfortunately rolling over a lot of applications year to year to year. So we get really excited whenever we have um, special money come in so that we can really make a dent on um, any sort of applications that we have um, a lot of interest in. So forest management plans 
um, are actually something that we have a lot of interest in uh, this area where I'm at. Um, you know, whether you are interested in actual forest production or just wildlife habitat, um, that's been um, just a steady stream of people interested in doing forestry work in this region um, that I would I was surprised by whenever I first started working for the agency. I didn't realize that was something we had um, so much interest in. Um, I don't, I haven't worked with a lot of the other Act Now programs yet, so I'm not sure as much um, what their demand is across the state, um, but those are the two big ones where I'm at so far. Okay, and I know that um, I think MDC is also adding some money to the pot depending on what kind of practice it is. And so whenever someone is interested in these programs or in this act now, definitely ask and see, you know, if there's any other add-ons that are there because of the geography, like Matt was talking about. I know in Caldwell County, where I'm at, I did sign up for the native warm season grass. And because it is a key habitat for quail, MDC did add on an extra $100 to the payment. And I'm not saying that that's gonna be the same across the whole state. Um, I'm just saying that there are opportunities out there to kind of sweeten that, to get it more established and get a, a better program across the region. Um, so the other thing that we kind of talked about was time. Um, so you're saying that the Act Now program is something that's a lot faster to go through the process of. Um, whenever we talk about EQIP and CSP, how long do you all project those to last so that when folks come in, they can kind of have um, an idea in mind of how long that process will last, when is a good time to sign up, and when do you expect folks to actually get that funding and get that contract? So the nice thing about our programs outside of special initiatives, you can sign up anytime. We do year-round sign up um, for both EQIP and CSP, so there is never a bad time to sign up. Um, however, if you are really wanting to get signed up for a program and you just haven't made it into the office or haven't sent in an application um, by mail or email or anything like that, um, you do wanna pay attention to the sign up cutoff dates to make sure that you get your application in before the next round of funding is in you know, the cutoff date. So if you submit after that date, we're, we'll still take your application. It'll just be longer before we're gonna start processing your application. Um, so depending on, um, you know, exactly when you sign up, you, there might be a waiting period before we really start processing the application. You know, we might go ahead and do the field visit, but um, we might not be able to um, enter all of the necessary information into the computer to be able to um, submit it for selection for funding. Um, that process can take, you know, anywhere from a couple days for an easy application to months for a complicated grazing system where we're going back and forth with different ideas about what might be the best solution for you. So um, it's um, every application is unique on, you know, what might be needed for it and how long that um, kind of application process is going to take. Um, right now, we're working with our first round of EQIP applications and trying to get them submitted um, for potential selection for funding. 
So we're hoping that, um, you know, within March, I'm hoping we're going to start finding out who was selected. And then at that point, um, we'll be able to start working on actually developing the contracts. Um, hopefully, contract development should take anywhere from a couple weeks for an easy contract to a couple months for a more complicated contract that needs a lot of engineering and approval um, that's beyond the field office. Um, and then once you have a contract, um, if you're in EQIP, your contract can be anywhere from one year to 10 years would be the maximum. Um, typically, we try to stay around five years or less um, just for various reasons. You know, five years is still kind of a long time. Um, and our payment rates are based off of when you sign up. So I don't like getting too far, uh, too lengthy of contracts because you might get stuck with some pretty low payment rates and still installing practice or installing um, equipment that is a lot more expensive than what I'm currently paying. Um, and then if you're in the CSP program, um, those are exactly five-year contracts um, because that's kind of more of a rewards program that has an annual payment associated with it, kind of like CRP. Okay, and Matt, do you want to add anything to that? Nope, she's spot on. Okay, so I guess the one thing we, we didn't get to just exactly, when is that cutoff date? I know that you can sign up anytime, um, but when is the cutoff date that you all start grabbing those and start working on them? Does that change yearly or? That can change yearly. It can change yearly. And this year we're doing batching. So we have potentially up to three batching dates. So it's going to stagger basically every three months you know, or at least three quarters of the year. Um, yeah. So that is a little different than what's done in the past. Sometimes you'll see, you know, stage one, stage two. Um, I've seen one sign up per year. So, I mean, it's going to depend on the funding that's coming down from national headquarters. Depends on what we're going to do here. Um, we usually, the le leadership team in the state usually meets and we talk about what's best and going to work for everybody in the whole state. So we keep these dates uniform throughout the whole state of Missouri. So um, it's basically impartial and everybody has the same workload. But it's, it, it, it is hard to say that, you know, it's going to be like this next year because it probably won't. It's yeah. probably going to change because I'd say the RA funds are going to are going to dry up sometime. It may not be next year, maybe ten years from now, but sometime it's going to change. Currently, our next um, batching cutoff date is March fifteenth for Equip CSP Act Now. Um, pretty much all of our programs. So if you come in after that date, then you'll be in batch three. But batch two sign up deadline is March fifteenth. Okay, so I know you guys talked about funding and you guys alluded to that if we don't have enough funding in the pot for EQIP or in the pot for CSP, then you guys are unable to then do more contracts. You're only able to do a few contracts. Um, so I guess, could you kind of discuss that a little bit more? If someone doesn't get approved, is it because there is a lack of funding um, or is it also because of the practices they choose? Potentially. So there's some um, practices like in my area, terraces are um, one of the main practices that people come in and sign up for, but um, terraces are very costly to install. So, um, you know, the state has to allocate the money that is given to them um, according to various laws and also, you know, just um, 
different local working group information that they've received on how this um you know, large pool of money that they've been given needs to be divided so that the reward is spread out evenly throughout the state. Um, so um, each four counties is given a certain amount of money for such as, you know, terraces or other cropland um, things. And if we run out of money for that funding pool, um, those applications, um, we can defer them until next year and that person can try again. Um, they could also try to apply for funding through other programs such as the Soil and Water Conservation District. Um, and the, depending on what type of practice they're applying for, there might be more or less funding opportunities through other programs. So terraces is not something that you would want to install through the Conservation Stewardship Program, CSP. Um, there's just, um, even if it is an option, um, it probably pays cents per foot. Um, so it's just not um, really, um, that it wouldn't make sense to apply for terraces through CSP. Um, that's something that the people in the office, we're going to help you, you know, figure all of that information out. That's not on the applicant to determine um, on their own. Um, but, you know, say maybe you're just interested in, um, habitat or cover crops, um, some of those practices that aren't quite so expensive, there might be lots of opportunities to apply for different programs. So if we can't get you funding through EQIP, maybe you can get funded through the Soil and Water Conservation District, or maybe we do look at um, some other program um, that could provide you funding. So if you, if you don't get in um, because of lack of funds in that fund pool, that doesn't mean necessarily that there's no other options. Um, and it's all just dependent, you know, application by application, different counties might have more options than others um, based off what other um, funding is channeled towards that county or other geographic region. Um, okay, so I guess on that, what are, or I guess, what do you guys see in each of these programs, EQIP and CSP? Let's start with EQIP. Who is using that the most and what are they using for it the most? I know you you kind of hit it on it that, you know, terraces is going to be for EQIP. And if they want to bundle it with cover crops and they want to do maybe um, a pollinator strip, is that primarily what you guys have seen it towards, even with your guys' different geographical areas? In my area, I have applications that are for um, terraces and cover crops, kind of that more um, traditional annual cropland type of application. We also do a lot of grazing systems. We do a lot of wildlife habitat, forestry work. Um, we also work with specialty crop producers with high tunnels um, or other conservation practices on their, um, you know, whether it be um, vegetable production or orchard production. Um, and then we also are getting more involved in animal feeding operations with managing uh, waste or building new um, facilities for animal feeding operations. So uh, we kind of get into all different aspects of agriculture as far as what we do through EQIP. Um, with CSP, we haven't done, um, it's a little bit harder to 
become eligible depending on what type of your operation you're running. Um, the larger you are, typically the harder it is to get into CSP. Um, so in this, in my area, um, we do a lot more with grazing or hay production in CSP um, or smaller crop producers um, have maybe found it more advantageous than some of our really large crop producers um, have struggled to be eligible for CSP. Okay, and Matt, have you seen that as well? And what different practices do you have you seen for those? Yeah, so it's going to be real similar. So the folks that I came from, you know, in the Grundy County area originally, it was probably real similar to like Ray County. Um, we had a lot of terrorist applications, but the, the, it was different. I mean, um, say 10 years ago, you can you could um, apply just for terrace and tile and you'd probably get it. You'd probably get in and you're addressing that one resource concern. Well, now they got it where you're going to have to do a lot more to get, you know, that the set of terraces. Um, so we, we still see that um, in my FOSA now. Um, but what I do see is diversity and that's what EQIP's for. So EQIP is the big diverse program that you can do a plethora of projects or you could isolate it out. So you're you're not just gonna, you know, do um, erosion. You're you're gonna be doing the forestry end or we get a lot more grazing now than we have. Um I think I think a lot of these programs and what we're seeing is what our planners are promoting and what is big at the time. So as of right now, we have a big grazing push, say in Adair County, we're getting a lot more grazing applications work done. So I think it's the, the mentality of the planners and what, what they're pushing and, the, and what the agenda is at the time is what we're seeing. Okay, okay. So with these different programs, is there different payments for these? Um, so it, does it pay differently for terraces compared to a pollinator plot? And does it pay differently if you're a first-time farmer or someone that's been farming for 20-plus years? EQIP is very straightforward on how the cost share is determined. Each practice has a set payment rate for um, what is installed. Um, and those payment rates are based on uh, regional average historical costs. So we're in the um, kind of a Midwest uh, regional average um, for um, someone who's just what we would consider like a regular participant. Um, we aim to reach 75% cost share. Um, since we pay a flat rate, regardless of what your actual cost is, your cost could be higher than that 75% or your cost could be a lot lower than that 75%. Um, you know, it's also going to depend on if you do the work yourself um, versus if you have it hired out. Our rate is the same, um, but of course your cost is going to differ um, based on which scenario you choose. Um, participants who are considered historically underserved, which might be beginning farmers, um, or limited resource participants or socially disadvantaged participants, they're going to receive, um, a, aiming to receive 90% cost share. So it, there is a higher cost share rate. Um, that is only for the EQIP program. Um, that does not apply to CSP. Um, so for um, especially beginning farmers who, you know, might struggle to get a line of credit from a, a bank or other financial institution, getting those higher cost share rates can um, really help as far as being able to actually implement some conservation on the ground. Um, in recent years, I'm going to be honest, our 
cost share has not been keeping up with some of the skyrocketing inflation rates for materials um, that we've seen. So depending on which practice it is, we might not be very close to that 75% right now because we're using historic data and it's not um, caught up with the current inflation rates. Um, CSP has a completely different method that's used for determining uh, cost share. Um, and I just like to tell people that if they sign up for CSP, um, I, I'm happy to you know, give them information as the best of my ability, but until we've really assessed their application and started picking practices and things like that, I can't really give any straightforward answers on exactly what their cost share is going to be yet. So it's a much more complex program. Matt, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, so when you when you start talking about the cost share percentage of the programs, it can be kind of a loaded question. And she described a lot of it, you know, the inflation right now is killing us. Um, so it's we're not keeping up. And the only advice really we can give when we give estimates is to shop around. You got that you have to go out there and, and you can't settle on the guy that's done your work for 10 years when our economy is the way it is. You're going to have to shop around and find what fits what you need. Um, there's there are people that do just as good work uh, outside your network, but we have to trust the process and shop around. Um, the, the there are for the historically underserved at the 90% rate. Um, there are certain practices that are going to be eligible and certain that are not. And I think people need to know, you know, when they when they're inquiring about this, you know, if what they're asking for if it qual if it falls in that in that category. Well, when people are shopping around, I'll put a shameless plug for MFA. We do have cover crop seed. We also have herbicide to burn down your cover crops. And then a lot of these programs may even require fertilizer. You can also get that at MFA. And um, they also mentioned the native warm season grasses. We have Landry Jones, who is a part of MFA, and he does a lot of different training for grazing and for these livestock management systems. And so he's been fighting for a native warm season grass mix. And so we actually have one of those. We're pretty pumped about it. So when you're looking at these programs, definitely look for MFA. <laughs> <laughs> but OK, done with done with that. Um, I guess also going into this, what are some success stories that you guys have seen and where have you seen maybe people struggle? I know you guys kind of mentioned it whenever you said that with inflation, you want to make sure that you're actually getting these things done in a timely manner so that you're still getting a good portion of money back to pay for them. Um, but what are your guys' successes and then where you think people could, you know, focus on to improve? So the success stories that I see is when I drive down the road, it doesn't matter if it from the first job that I had to an acting job to the, the job that I have now, you can go anywhere you go and you helped with something somewhere and you can see the difference from start to finish. And that's what's great about our job because we can see what was before and how we cured it and what it is after. Um, and we have the the relationship with the with our clientele that we get to hear the stories firsthand. So, you know, they come in, we can ask them, you know, how's that grazing system going? Or is your grass lasting longer to your grazing rotation? You know, and when we get that input back. So a lot of a lot of things can be unseen and they're just telling us, but 
their success is what makes us successful. So I know our education base and our and our foundation of our agency is doing the best to, to its ability to help these people out. And it's from their stories, um, not necessarily what we see every time, but it's from what they tell us. Their their feedback is what drives, I guess, it drives me. I mean, that's that's why I do what we do. I like I like that part of it. Brittany, what about you? Yeah, so I think um, some of the more successful um, operations I've worked with or some more like success stories is, um, you know, we get to work with a lot of different um, farmers and other landowners and experts, um, you know, whether it be within NRCS or in other um, organizations. And so um, we have all this knowledge um, that we get to share with our customers. And so that's um, kind of some of my favorite things is whenever you get to bring up an idea to somebody that they were just like, wow, I never thought about it that way. Um, and, you know, can kind of alter their whole operation and be able to take something that used to be maybe kind of negative for them and turn it into, um, you know, a whole new idea and a positive experience. Um, so I don't have any like real specific information that I should probably share on here, but that's kind of been something that I've really enjoyed getting to do is kind of making those connections for people um, that they otherwise might not have been able to make without us. Um, so something I would say as like a, a caution is it's really easy to think okay, I can get all of this stuff done and I'm going to get this done in three years and there's not going to be any problems with this because I'm excited. And you, um, it's really easy to put too many practices in your application um, and not give yourself enough time to complete things. And then, you know, life hits you and you've got weather problems or sickness or, you know, all kinds of stuff can happen. And so it's really easy to get behind schedule on a contract. Um, and so, I just like to always, you know, give people the warning that, you know, it's it's better to give yourself more time to complete than what you think you need. Um, we love when people get things done early. That's always awesome. Um, and so if you give yourself some extra time to do things or, you know, maybe, you know, pick out what your biggest priority is to do for this application, you can always sign up later. There's no rule that says you can only sign up once. Um, so you can always sign up later to do some more things down the road, um, but just take off, you know, what you can actually accomplish right now um, for your application so it can be successful and you don't, you know, wake up every day and say, oh, man, Brittany from the NRCS is going to call me again and ask me if I've got this done yet. And I have it. So um, we don't want to see that. We we like helping people. We like paying people for for good work that's been completed. Um, that's um, my one cautionary tale. So. Oh, perfect. I think that's a good one to have. I know a lot of folks, they get so excited and they want to do everything. So yep. good thing to keep in mind. Um, so the other thing, I guess, is we've talked about a lot of different practices and there's a lot of different opportunities and there's different batches for signups. And I know we, we discussed this beforehand, but how do folks actually keep on that to keep up with it is it as simple as you just need to go into the office and talk with them um, is there even a way for them to keep up on it online i know that it's kind of hard to do that sometimes so what is your guys's words of advice to keep up on these programs i'd, I'd say it's the upfront is is key so being 
totally honest and showing them their 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 11:55 and knowing what their schedule is and when things are are supposed to be completed. Um, when I was planning, I had a separate Word document that actually itemized out what has to be done during this year, um, just so there was no misinterpretation, of, you know, of what I expected from this contract. Um, and they appreciated it. They, they like the itemized list. Um, we send out a lot of letters. We have practice reminder letters. We have we have a lot of documentation that gets sent out as as reminders. So I mean, it's really never not forgotten. It's just, are we getting to it? So. Um, and most of the time, most people are enthusiastic or they're working on it. I mean, you're going to have problems. We'll work with you through the problems. Just be honest and, and upfront with us, and we will do our best to help you succeed. But we just have to keep the communication train rolling. Okay. And then and I guess lastly is just the discussion on if someone wants to make sure that they are up to date on knowing when these programs are coming available, um, when the signups are, when the deadlines are, is that where, is there anywhere they can find that? Or is it just as easy as FSA had talked, um, Debbie Clevenger in Caldwell County, she said, just come in the office, get to know your folks, and they'll be able to keep you up to date on when um, deadlines are and things like that. Is that what you guys also voice or is there a different spot to find that? Coming in the office is always an option or giving us a phone call if you aren't local um, or just don't have time to come into the office. Um, we also work with the Farm Service Agency locally to send out um, e-bulletins is kind of what they're called, um, where we send out information about what's happening at the local level. Um, so hopefully there's not a whole lot of information in there that doesn't apply to you. Um, and sometimes there's even like occasional text updates that'll be sent out about more time sensitive um, information. So um, that's something that you can sign up for with the Farm Service Agency, but the NRCS has information included in those bulletins. Um, so that'd be great for local information. And then the state office does send out publications about various um, programs and things that are coming up, although sometimes those can be um, you know, easy to miss if if you aren't connected to the right channels. Okay, that's good to know. So definitely get subscribed to the FSA newsletter that we had discussed in past podcasts. Yes. Yes. So so in my area, I I choose the articles that goes for the NRCS to go. You know, in those newsletters, um, I choose the most recent, most current information they can possibly have every time. And you know, not not all your audience is going to be on that newsletter. Um, but um, we do radio shows. I mean, every once in a while, something's big going on, and we want to get it out. We'll do use the radio. Um, the inf infinite number of partners that we have, like MFA <laughs> and uh, NDC, Quail Quail Festival Forever. I mean, we have so many partners that we utilize, and they're and they're doing the same thing on their end and promoting our programs as we're doing theirs. So, I mean, there's so many outlets, it's hard not to miss. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's just, we get a lot of information out in a hurry by different platforms. Yep, and that's definitely my job, like Matt alluded to, is that my position is the conservation position. And so it's partnered with NRCS and MDC to solely help landowners get the, this funding available um, and get this knowledge to you guys so that you can have these great resources like NRCS, like FSA, like MDC. Um, but I think that's all that I have. 
Um, we covered quite a bit of things, but if someone is interested in this, definitely go to your office or call them on the phone, email them. Um, they have a wealth of knowledge and they would be able to go out to your farm, look at it, see exactly what programs apply to your area, and then they'll walk you through the steps. It may take some time, but it's also going to be worth it. Um, so definitely stay with it. Keep up on all the documents that you need and anything else. But if you like what you heard, definitely follow us on other podcasts. You can listen on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Podcast Addict. I don't think I'm saying that right, but we'll roll with it. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're real old school and you would like to have a subscription to today's Farmer Magazine to get it at your house, you can do so or just read it online. But thank you both. I appreciated um, going back to my NRCS days. It was very fun. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to Made for Agriculture, brought to you by MFA your whole farm solution.